Hello, audience. Hello. You are here. And being here means you are an indefatigable survivor. You have survived the strangulation of the metaphorical white-collar noose you sometimes feel yourself cinched in when the pressure tightens. You have endured the embattlement of the day-to-day -day grind, and at the risk of belaboring a recent obvious worldwide plight and pandemonium, you vanquished the virus and are rid of COVID, the Kung Flu, Rona, Co-Villain, Co-Victim, or Co-Noseblow. We have lived through some crazy, crippling moments in our time, have we not, dear audience? A millennium change? Y2F stars K? Proliferation of the internet? Self-driving effing cars? A global strain of the virulent persuasion? The largest coordinated attack since that fateful day in Hawaii years back? We have survived. But while in the maelstrom force of the disease, dying, and dread, something else emerged. A contemporary Pandora opened the lid on that jar, though she was forbid, releasing the lethal kraken squid of COVID in that whirlpool of innervating and lethal proportion as well. Were we able to unearth perks? Perks of the pestilence, I call them. This is a literal application of the age-old Greek myth of Pandora, hope. When Pandora released all of the woes onto the planet, so too did she release hope. And that hope has trickled through and shines brighter than a fleeting sun spot. The hope unleashed itself with healing waves, dear audience. It's no small coincidence that when I refer to us unwinding the daily grind, I'm asking you to let these healing, calming, Sound waves wash over your ears. That is what I'm doing from this position. This seated position, Othello to my left, passed out without a care or worry in the world. Let's be like Othello, taking things in stride. Don't just take things with a grain of salt. Take the whole F-Star's bottle of salt and throw it over your shoulder. Pay it forward, dear audience. Pay it forward. And it is in the Herculean grip of hope that the fear and viral violence receded. It is there that we found a way to locate the comfort and convenience that the Kung Flu pestilence brought forth. In the midst of the co-video conferences, which we will get into in this episode, a fitting quote, in the midst of chaos, there is also opportunity, Sun Tzu. In the throes and merciless riptide of the pandemic panic, new seeds germinated, flowers were planted, Realizations realized. Those who could adapt to the new environment saw the benefit in that adaptation. I offer you a quote from the great Michael Mann film Collateral, where Vincent, the contract killer portrayed so wonderfully by Tom Cruise, is talking to his protagonist. We're into plan B, still breathing? Now we gotta make the best of it. Improvise. Adapt to the environment. Darwin. Shiz happens. I Ching, whatever, man, we got to roll with it. And that's exactly what we did with CoVideo and the CoVideo conferences. Despite the taxing grievance, be it war, depression, a lethal virus with more questions than answers, you can still locate the hope and the unexpected bounty, the booty of your search. You know, like the pirates, they would pull up booty from the ocean floor, change their lives for the better. Remember, pirates split the spoils and the booty evenly among themselves. There was a certain honor to be found with the pirates of yore. 
I am reminded of a scene in that great World War II drama show, Band of Brothers, which follows the 101st Airborne Division through the European Theater of War. Now, Band of Brothers was 10 episodes, and each episode was anywhere from an hour to an hour and a half long. And of that entire show, I believe this dialogue was the best, most memorable, most climactic, and just absolutely fantastic. You've got two soldiers. You've got Ronald Spears, and you've got Carwood Lipton. Now, Ronald Spears is a tough hombre, and he kicks a lot of butt. But there's a reputation floating around the campfire that he has earned where he gave 20 German POWs, prisoners of war, cigarettes, and then mowed them all down with his Thompson machine gun. That is the rumor that has been circulating among the men for many episodes and many months. Carwood Lipton is a guy who kind of had to step up and look after his own throughout several skirmishes and what they were facing in the European theater. This is the dialogue between the two. Spears asks, what is it? Lipton, nothing. Well, I'd better get back to battalion before they disappear. You want to ask me, don't you? Lipton says, ask you what, sir? You want to know if they're true or not. The story is about me. Did you ever notice with stories like that? Everyone says they heard it from someone who was there. But then when you ask that person, they say they heard it from someone who was there. It's nothing new, really. I bet if you went back 2,000 years, you'd hear a couple of centurions standing around, yakking about how Tertius lopped off the heads of some Carthaginian prisoners. Lipton takes a moment. Well, maybe they kept talking about it because they never heard Tertius deny it. Spears responds. Well, maybe that's because Tertius knew. There was some value to the men thinking he was the meanest, toughest son of a B-stars in the whole Roman legion. And then he turns to leave the church. Lipton, sir, these men aren't really concerned about the stories. They're just glad to have you as our CO, that's commanding officer. They're happy to have a good leader again. Now things get really interesting between these two men. Well, from what I've heard, they've always had one. I've been told there's always been one man these soldiers could count on. Led them into the boy jock, held them together when they had the crap shelled out of them in the woods. Every day he kept their spirits up, kept the men focused, gave them direction. All the things a good combat leader does. You don't have any idea who I'm talking about, do you? Lipton takes a second. No, sir. Hell, it was you, First Sergeant. Ever since Winters made battalion, you've been the leader of Easy Company. Oh, and you're not going to be First Sergeant much longer, First Sergeant, sir. Winters put you in for a battlefield commission, and Sink approved on your behalf. You should get the official notice in a few days. Congratulations, Lieutenant. What a life-changing exchange of words. Do you think Lipton will ever be the same? Think the same? Do you think his meals will taste richer and more flavorful now? I know they will. I will actually talk about Spears sporadically on these Chemohawk sessions because he was the very definition of a great leader and he overcame adversity and he was someone that his men could rely on, as was Lipton. But that right there speaks to so many things. It speaks to good leadership, having faith in leadership. It's about a guy who had lost faith or lost hope or didn't even recognize the value in his own work. And Spears, in a very clever way, reminded him of his value. This is what happened to those of us who survived the COVID experience. Welcome, dear audience, you loyal listeners and sessions imbibing survivors. Welcome to Chapter 24, White Collar, Black Belt, Co-Video Conferences, Mining Buried Treasure from Plagued Displeasure. Things Co-Video Conferences made me think of. So you get your time off at work. How kind. How wonderful beneficent and magnanimous of your employer to give you time off away from them. 
But I ask, how many days is an appropriate amount of time to take off for you to enjoy life? Some people at my former company would never take more than, say, a three-day weekend. Lambro, J-Dog, Clint, we were all guilty of it. Some of us had this fear that if you took off more than one day at a time, your work would pile up to an insurmountable degree, and you would never get through that stack when you got back. Isn't that sad that your company offers you 20, 25, 30, two weeks, whatever amount of time off, but you know darn well that when you're off, nobody is properly looking after your matters. So when you come back, it's like you never should have taken off in the first place. But if you just take one day off, that's not enough time. Because say you take Monday off, so you have a three-day weekend, you know that Saturday you're still in work mode. You need at least 24 to 36 hours just to decompress from the week. Now I suffer from this thing I call the Sunday night pit. That pit you get in your stomach about 4 p.m. after you've done all the laundry, you've done all the errands, and you've laid your clothes out for the subsequent week. You start getting that pit in your stomach as you know Monday morning is coming, and it's coming hard and ruthlessly, and it's coming for your throat. Is one day off enough? I say no. I say when you take your little excursions, even if it's just a staycation, make it five days off total. Make it a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, enjoy the five-day weekend, and come back to a short week, Thursday, Friday, and then bam, you get another weekend again. Now that's just my advice, do what you like, but I'm telling you from my experience and from what I've picked up through osmosis and my discussions with others. As far as living in the moment goes, stop videoing concerts. Stop videoing things. If you are at an event or a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, if you're at one of your favorite concerts, or if you are on a battleship, or if you are in the middle of the woods, or if you're looking at some monument or some historical home, if you are looking at the Aurora freaking Borealis, it doesn't matter what it is. But if you are seeing the sights, maybe you take one picture just so that you have something for the family photo album. Do not sit there during a concert and record the entire concert unless you are getting paid a salary as that videographer or something. But if you sit there and video everything while it's happening, you're doing yourself two, count them two, disservices. The first is you're not truly absorbing it as it's occurring because you're looking at it through a screen. Secondly, well, and I guess it's part of the first, you then immediately post that to rub it in the face of all your friends and say, ha ha ha, look where I am and look where you're not. You're missing out and I'm winning, but you're really losing because all that time you spent videoing and editing and posting it and rubbing it in all of your friends' faces, you could have been enjoying the moment. The second disservice that you're providing yourself is you are harming the strength and the stature of your memory. If you video things and you can just constantly refer to that video or that image, you're not really causing your brain to work on the memory. You're not flexing those memory muscles. You are cheating. And in a way, eventually, you're not going to be able to remember anything. And those videos will become corrupted. And it's like it never happened. I suggest you take a photo or maybe two photos at the beginning. And then you just enjoy the effing function. And you rely on the great and stellar memory that you have been afforded. And you refer to that memory from time to time when things get quiet and things get lonely. That is the appropriate way to enjoy things in real F-Stars time. Another thought occurred to me when we were in the height of COVID and we were having those daily or weekly co-video conferences at work, I had other lingering thoughts because I wasn't paying attention to the co-video conferences because we had nothing to talk about. People were just volunteering all of this useless information about their personal lives. As far as knowing your worth, this is the example I thought of. Say that you are an hourly employee or technically like hourly salary where you're paid an annual salary, but it's contingent on you working exactly 40 hours a week every week of the year. Let's say that you're working 40 hours a week and you take a promotion as an assistant manager or a manager 
And now you're having to work on average, even though you're not clocking in and clocking out, but the time is still the time. Say you're now working an extra 20 hours a week, from 40 hours a week to 60 hours a week on average. And of course, you're not getting overtime for this. It's just straight time. That pay increase better reflect your increase in output. If you were earning a salary of $60,000 a year to work 40 hours a week, and now you're a manager and you're expected to work a minimum of 60 hours a week, if you add up all those hours, I would say that that salary increase better be at least a third, if not more like 40% of what you were earning prior. But at my former company, depending on how much money you were already earning on your annual salary, your increase in pay to then become a manager, which means you're now working 60 plus hours a week, and that work is different work. That work is more stressful. There's more deadlines. There's more expectations. But I would say on average, from what I was gathering in my research, to become a manager at my former company, if you had been an employee for quite a while beforehand, that could be as paltry as six to 8,000, maybe as much as 10,000. But that is nowhere near equitable in relation to how much output you're now responsible for. The example that I came up with was you go to a bar, you sit at a bar and you buy one 12 ounce Corona bottle. And that costs you $4.50. Plus, you're probably going to tip the guy a dollar, maybe $2. So you've just paid six plus dollars for one 12 ounce Corona. And likely, they're not even pouring it in a frosted mug for you. All they did was take the freaking top off. But you can go on your way home from said bar and buy a six pack of 12 ounce Corona bottles for $7. The volume and the cost, it does not equate. It does not compute. And that is the math I'm doing in my brain. It does not make sense to buy six individual Corona bottles at a bar and pay $50 for them when you could just get a six pack of Corona near your house and have a Corona party at your house for one fifth the cost. That is exactly the type of math I'm doing when you're offered a promotion, but your salary does not equate to the output. Things to think about. Here's a quote. I once read about a man who survived a hotel fire. He hung on to the ledge for an hour before the fire department rescued him. Afterwards, he bought the hotel, always stayed in the room. When they asked him why, he said he figured fate couldn't find him twice. Lex Luthor in Smallville. That's a very telling quote. You think about what happened with COVID and you think about the realizations that we made about how working from home, working virtually is a real option now. And there's many benefits that come along with that. Just know that as much of a good idea it is, I would venture to say, I would not be surprised if these companies don't forget that lesson learned. And a second COVID is required down the line. Because as you know, like politicians and like countries, middle managers have short memories. And I wouldn't be surprised here if in four months, six months, they're trying to get everyone back in the office. Now they're doing that already. Elon Musk gave a kind of a presentation. And I know Jeff Bezos, they're both, they've both been working to try to get people back in the office vigorously, but they're having to cave to some societal pressure to offer some sort of a hybrid. I kid you not. You may think you're safe at home working virtually now, day after day, but I've seen it happen. And at my former company, there were a couple of guys that had been working virtually for about five years or more because their office became defunct. And guess what? They built a new facility, not 10 miles from where these guys work. They started making them go back into the office again after five years of adjusting to a virtual lifestyle. Sometimes fate can find you twice. Keep your eyes open and remain vigilant, dear audience. Another quote, do what you will. This world's a fiction and is made up of contradiction, William Blake. I just like the way that sounds. It's got a good rhyme. It's got some memorable lessons in it. Here's another quote. Solitude is the profoundest fact of the human condition. Man is the only being who knows he is alone. Octavio Paz. Extremely relevant, I find this to be. Why find mental health degradation, cognitive decline, and clinical depression in isolation, audience? 
I know that when COVID was in its prime, people were severely suffering from this isolation. Not often in life are the streets empty, the ambient chatter hushed, and you have peace and F-stars quiet. I say, enjoy the silence, like that Depeche Mode song. Enjoy the silence. Enjoy it. For in the silence, you can unveil the better angels of your F-star's nature, greener pastures and richer raptures. I talked about it in one of my Chemohawk session shorts, where I remind people that in silence, you can learn more about yourself. And that's exactly what should have happened with COVID. And for those of you that had epiphanies, good for you. It does not have to be so problematic, this social isolation. See it as a positive, see it as a perk, and see it as a prerequisite to really knowing who you are. I am reminded of a passage from one of my favorite poems. It's called Diving into the Wreck by Adrian Rich. I came to explore the wreck. The words are purposes. The words are maps. I came to see the damage that was done and the treasures that prevail. I did not know what to expect with COVID, the Kung Flu, Rona, or Co Nose Blow. I did what I usually do, audience. I assume somewhere between indifference and the worst reflection representation of people as a whole. A holistic people-watching approach. And I assumed that all would fall asunder. I was wrong. And there is a victory in owning your own mistaken assumptions. For I believe it keeps you honest and holds you accountable to your F-star's self. I think one undoubtable reason I insert so many Al Swearingen. Oh, I love Al Swearingen from Deadwood. But I think I insert so many Al Swearingen quotes throughout these sessions because of the fact I can relate to the man and his penchant for sniffing out our mankind's unkindness. It does feel sublime to be wrong. I am glad that so many of you not only survive COVID, but use it as an opportunity to improve yourself. I believe they sold more gym equipment bicycles, and things of the like than ever before. Good for you for turning into a positive. But this Al Swearingen quote, I have got to be satisfied. See, I'm the simple type, stars sucker, that when he sees lightning, readies for thunder, and takes the thunder if it comes from part of the same F-stars storm. I am simple-minded like Swearingen on many things. I'm very cause and effect driven. So when I see COVID happening, my assumption is that we are screwed. I mean, if it rains just a tad on the roads, people start driving like Mad Max and the movie's Mad Max. But I, in several instances, was proven wrong. So thank you. The sweet treats COVID left and still leaves in a lingering way are many and not minute either. If you have been paying focused F-Star's attention and watching closely, dear listeners, COVID left a treasure trove of treats in its tsunami wake. Today, we shall explore those treats and those treasures that prevailed, and how they relate to the WCC, our lives, and how they set a buoyant, not bleak tone of our lives yet explored. I gift you some quotes portrayed by Tom Cruise in a rare villainous role in Michael Mann's Collateral, one of my most favorite flicks. I think it was the best Tom Cruise performance in his long litany of performances, not only because he was the villain, but because he did something that's very difficult to do. He went against type, and he went against cast. And it was a fantastic, haunting role. He's talking to the cab driver driving him around the dark streets of LA. Someday, someday my dream will come. One night you will wake up and discover it never happened. It's all turned around on you. It never will. Suddenly you are old. Didn't happen and it never will because you were never going to do it anyway. You'll push it into memory and then zone out in your Barco lounger, being hypnotized by daytime TV for the rest of your life. 
Don't you talk to me about murder. All it ever took was a down payment on a Lincoln Town car. That girl? You can't even call that girl. What the F-stars are you still doing driving a cab? He goes on to say later, Most people, same job, same gig, doing the same thing for 10 years from now. Us? We don't even know what we are going to be doing 10 minutes from now. I beseech you, audience, if you are not happy at your current white-collar job, your current white-collar career, your current post, your current position, if you are not happy, get the F-stars out. Leave. Take your 401k. Take your medical benefits. Take that with you. You can negotiate your vacation time. I hear that time and time again. Well, I have 21 days at my current company. If I start another company, it will only be two weeks. Okay, but what vacation time is going to matter and what impact will it make in your life when you're dead? Dead from stress. Dead from cardiovascular disease or heart failure. Dead because you've just officially gotten to the point where you are citizen careless and you no longer care about what happens at your company because they've drained the life out of you. If you're not happy, leave. Trust me, you'll be a better person because of it. Another dialogue between Max and Vincent from Collateral. Max says, I never learned to listen to jazz. Vincent, it's off melody, behind the notes, not what's expected, improvising, like tonight. You see, with COVID and these co-video conferences, everybody was adapting. They were improvising. And those that could get on board, I found COVID to be refreshing. So there I was working at my desk at home. And I learned that there's some things you can do when you're working virtually that you just cannot do in the office. I was able to employ what I call the prison workout. I was able to work a little bit on the computer, step away from the computer, do push-ups, sit-ups, burpees, suicide, jumping jacks, stretches. I was able to eat better. I was able to brush my teeth three times a day instead of the standard two. I was able to go on walks. I was able to see life. I was able to smell flowers. I was able to do things that you just cannot do in a facility or like the bomb shelter of my office. All benefits. All worthwhile activities. Weight loss. A shift in your life priorities, exercise, mass sales of workout gear, reevaluation of worth and the workplace. These were all benefits to the co-video conferences, dear listeners, and this cannot be denied. Now, I know the first few months, six months when the fear was at its reign, people were putting on the, you know, like the freshman 15, they were putting on the co-video 50, but that changed and people started working out. It had to get uglier before it got beautiful, but that's exactly what happened. You are heroes, audience, for surviving the co-video conferences. Quote from the movie Black Hawk Down, one of the best war movies I've ever seen. You've got Eversman, played by Josh Hartnett. You know, a friend of mine asked me before I got here. This is in Mogadishu, Somalia. It's when we were all shipping out. He asked me, why are you going to fight somebody else's war? What, do you think you're heroes? I didn't know what to say at the time. But if he'd asked me again, I'd say no. I'd say there's no way in hell. Nobody asks to be a hero. It just sometimes turns out that way. Well, you are all heroes, audience. You're heroes for surviving and you're heroes for tuning in and accepting that we don't always know what we're doing. And the best we can hope for is to learn some great life lessons before the cost is too steep. A little bit of research for you. These are the unexpected benefits from COVID to help you live your calling from Kevin and K. Marie Brenfleck. Now I cut it down a little bit and I just am going to give you some of the taglines. But we all know the worldwide pandemic led to costly losses. I actually know people that passed away from COVID. It was no joke and it was no, there was no punchline. It was a very serious and remains a very serious situation. In the United States alone, over 600,000 people have died. More were permanently harmed. The economy came to a halt. Students missed out on years to, of face-to-face schooling. Families separated, which led to isolation and loneliness, which we talked about. But what was birthed out of all of that? Number one, 
The pandemic has given people time to rethink their careers and lives. I left my company in the throes of the co-video conferences and never looked back. With the patterns of our lives and work greatly disrupted, forced lockdowns, keeping close to 70% of workers at home, many took a new look at their work lives and realized they did not care for what they saw. It created what was known as the Great Resignation, resulting in nearly two-thirds of workers looking for new jobs. Why was that happening? Research confirmed that people tend to quit their jobs after experiencing a turnover shock, a life event that precipitates self-reflection about one's job satisfaction. I am constantly alluding to self-reflection, audience, and that is the best way to chart your future course, is you have to reflect on yourself, take stock of where you are, where you're going. Number two, many employees found, many employers found that working from home produced better work results, paving the way for increased opportunities on work from home. A Harvard Business Review found that the pandemic has made people's work more effective than when they worked in the office. Yeah, no doy because you're not sitting around the watering hole talking about your scab that you had removed at the surgeon's office. Increasing workers' focus on the tasks that really mattered, resulting in them spending 12% less time being drawn into large meetings and 9% more time interacting with customers and external partners. It allowed people to take responsibility for their own schedules and found that people will do 50% more through personal choice because they see those particular activities as being important. Now, I'm not a statistic whore. I think that statistics, unless you can show me all the data that supports it, unless you can explain what that data stream means and put it in layman's terms for my understanding, I think statistics are highly suspect. But for purposes of broad stroke arguments, I think they work. I'm just ladling out a few statistics for you, but focus on the words, not the numbers. The important thing is it led to a shift in culture. Number three, virtual work and education have increased the technology skills and opportunities. Think about it. We had to adapt. Darwin, I Ching, we had to adapt to the new circumstance. And so in doing so, technology advanced, which has created a more comprehensive approach to working from home, students learning at home, and everything complemented everything else. Number four, working from home, not having to commute can provide more balance in your other callings, such as being a spouse, parent, family member, neighbor, or church member. According to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, Americans work an average of 44 hours per week or 8.8 hours per day. Originally, if you had an eight-hour day, which I had, you would also have to factor in your commute. That could be an hour and a half each day. So you're not really working eight hours a day. You're kind of like working 10. Because while you can listen to Chemo Hawk sessions on the road, there's still something you would probably rather be doing, like listening to Chemo Hawk sessions before you sleep or listening to it while you're enjoying a fun workout or eating watermelon on the shores of Tripoli or something. But the point is, the commute factored in. And when you would roll up to work, stressed out because of the daily gridlock or because of the traffic grinds, that could have an impact on your day. According to a national Gallup poll, the average number is 47 hours per week, with many reporting as close to 50. But once you start working virtually, that time starts dwindling and dissipating. Gaining back a few hours a week from not commuting provides you with precious time to invest in your spouse, children, family, and friends. One of the funniest things I think I heard throughout the entire pandemic was middle managers who had families that were complaining that now they were around their sniveling, whiny brat children all the time. And the immediate place I went in my brain was, you had the F-Stars kid, and now you get to spend time with it. You should be grateful. You should be waking up every day, getting down on your hands and knees and kissing the ground because you have been bestowed this delightful treat of getting more time with your flesh and blood foundlings. But oh no, 
Suddenly the kids were an inconvenience. They're around all the time. They're driving them up a wall. And I'm thinking, if you're a middle manager working for an insurance company, you should already have patience and you should already know how to deal with crisis and crises. I say be happy. But what are you going to do? Grass is always greener. Cows are always meaner, right? A tremendous lasting dialogue took place towards the conclusion of the great dramatic sports film Moneyball between Jonah Hill playing Peter Brand and Brad Pitt playing Billy Bean. Peter Brand is showing Brad Pitt some footage from one of the underrated players. It just has a warm and philosophical feeling at the end. Peter Brand says, The Vesalia Oaks and our 240-pound catcher Jeremy Brown, who, as you know, scared to run to second base. This was in a game six weeks ago. He's showing him the footage. This guy is going to start him off with a fastball. Jeremy is going to take him to deep center. Here's what's really interesting. Because Jeremy's going to do what he never does. He's going to go for it. He's going to round first base and he's going to go for it, okay? But then on the video, Jeremy trips and falls over the base. Peter Brand, this is all of Jeremy's nightmares coming to life. Aw, they're laughing at him. And Jeremy's about to find out why. Jeremy's about to realize that the ball went 60 feet over the fence. He hit a home run and didn't even realize it. You see, audience, sometimes great things can happen. I am weary to call them miracles, but you need to pay attention to both the terrible and the terrific and let it all sink in. That was another Oscar Robb in denying Pitt the best actor for his portrayal of Billy Bean. I'm going to read you a few snippets from one of my poems called Hope Thievery. There is this void that despairs some. Despite their prayers, it does still come. Sapping some souls, but in the end, their hearts still wildly pulsing mend. The dismal place the void came from. We're told a month and then a day. Those meant to live will find a way. Breathing new life, delaying their death. Hope fills their lungs with lasting breath. Keeping creeping reapers at bay. Last stanza. I write with ease, for now I know. We'll live, give more before we'll go. With age, my faith has also grown and beat this thief of hope. Don't let things like COVID or a smelly, diabolical boss get you down. You choose how you're going to perceive things, dear audience. It may be one of the only things you can control. Personal nugget time. It was a lifetime ago, but I met a girl. She had orangish hair because she was getting a lot of sun then. And as you know, the sun can have a very observable effect on the hue of your hair. She is Red Devil, and she will always be Red Devil. But I, who was just kind of figuring things out in my life, always looking for a good companion, always looking for somebody to have fun with, something possessed me to give her my business card. And on the back of my business card, I wrote my fun number, colon, and then my phone number. I never heard from her. I got busy with life and things got in the way. But I always wondered why. Why did I get such a rejection through omission? I never heard from Red Devil. And I just was like, okay. Well, not everybody accepts the Kool-Aid of Falsetto Prophet. I went on. And what do you know? It was about 12 months, 13 months, 18 months later. Who remembers? I walk out to my work vehicle and what do I find underneath the windshield wiper blade? Looked like a little note. I thought, oh no, somebody doesn't like the insurance company I work for that they can see branded on the side of my vehicle. Or, oh no, maybe I parked too close to the line and they left a flaming bag of dog doggy dew underneath the car. What does this note say? It said, my fun number, and it had a number after the colon. I had to go deep, I had a deep dive into my memory bank and think of what the significance of that was. But I ultimately figured it out. This person had things going on in their life at the time that I reached out to them. 
But when things freed up, they reached out to me. And the rest is F-Star's history. That is the story of Wrangling Red Devil. Wow. What a memorable collection of moments. Unwind the lingering co-video grind. Enjoy the extended staycation in the confines of your warm and familiar domicile. Shake hands with a stranger, audience, if they have earned it, and display impeccably clean-looking hands, mind you. And then douse your hands in a gasoline-bleach combo, for you can never be too careful, dear listeners. Trust, but verify. Or if you prefer this quote, the only statistics you can trust are those you falsified yourself, Winston Churchill. Do not put too much stock in statistics. They're usually used in a weaponized agenda that is meant to undermine and deceive. Live, audience, with an exclamation mark behind it. Live, for you never know. Buy your dream car. Pursue your passionate impulses. Slide down a risky water slide and imbibe at least two more beverages past your established witty limits and lower the bar on your guard. I bought my dream car, adopted two pristine stray cats, Othello being my favorite of the two, had the grit and taters to get a mohawk and keep a mohawk. I proposed. I stood the F-stars up for myself even when I secured audience with my boss's boss's boss, and I may not have proved victorious in all administrative fronts, but I held my F-stars own. Tune in soon for a cocktail of Chemohawk Session Slow Gin. What is slow gin, you ask? Slow gin is a British red liqueur made with gin and slows. What is what the F-stars is a slow? They're fruits from Prunus spinosa, the black thorn plant, a relative of the plum. Now I know you know what a plum is. My boy Lambro would eat like 15 plums for breakfast out of a little zippy-locky bag. That man must have spent more time in the bathroom than a priest spends in a church. Slow gin has an alcohol content between 15 and 30. I like an alcoholic beverage that has anywhere from 100 to 150 proof. Remain on edge and eager for your next episode, Chapter 25, White Collar, Black Belt, Melting Point of Workplace Wax, Soaring Safely Between Hot Rays and Cold Waves. Falsetto out.